This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsasser. I'm Mark. I'm here with my good friend Ben, also with Doug, who produces these things for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Doug. We do appreciate that. For a full year, we are looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put together in sort of a chronological flow to our best ability. Last week, we looked at the first miracle and ministry moments of Jesus as he began his earthly ministry. And today we dig into Jesus' teaching and example about the harvest, what he calls the harvest. We begin with that in John chapter 4. So we'll be in John chapter 4, then the second half of this podcast, we'll look at Mark chapter 1 and look at a bunch of healing opportunities that Jesus had to bring physical wholeness to people's lives. But first, in in John chapter 4, it's a famous story about Jesus with a woman at a well, and he's out traveling and walks through this area that is known as Samaria. And we even know of that in our modern world, Samaritan. We have Samaritan hospitals, and we have Samaritan's Purse, and we have some some kind of good connotations of what a Samaritan is or what Samaria is. Not so back in the day, right? What's Samaria been? Samaritans were a people that were uh, despised by the Jews, and so, as we see uh, Jesus moving uh, from Galilee, from the region of Galilee to Judea, um, Samaria is in between uh, those, two, those two regions. And so Jews, if traveling from Galilee to Judea, they would actually walk all the way around Samaria as a means to avoid the place. Samaritans were uh, folks whose lineage was both Jewish and Gentile, um, so they were of, of what at the time they would have considered to be mixed race or mixed ethnicities, um, and they were a despised people. So it's it's maybe surprising that Jesus marches straight through it, right, and then stops in the middle of it, because if you're going to go through it, you get through it quickly. It's it's in the bad part of town, so to speak, or really a bad part of. The nation. I mean, it's it's. You can imagine walking around it, not driving around it, but walking around it would be add miles and miles to your trip. Yet people did it to avoid going there, to avoid being with the Samaritans whom they despised, but not Jesus. Right. Jesus isn't intimidated by others or the view that others had toward him by his interaction with people. Is he? No, no. And really, in, in many ways, throughout the Gospel of John, what we see is this movement of Jesus giving life uh, to the words uh, that are so familiar and so famous to us, for God so loved the world. A lot of times when we think of the designation of the world, we think about uh, you know Jesus's indivi- relationship with individual believers, that the Gospel is open to every individual but really, in some ways, the, the scandal of the gospel, especially for those first century Jewish religious leaders, is that, uh, is that when Jesus talked about the world, he was speaking to every ethnicity, every nation, state, 
that it was going that it would not be confined to a particular ethnicity or that he was not that his redeeming uh, love that his, the redemption that he has come to bring is not confined uh, to a particular ethnicity or nation state but is open to all and so throughout John we see this movement of uh, Jesus's initial interaction with Nicodemus uh, a Pharisee um uh, you know, just steeped in, in Jewish religious law. And then we see this movement from Nicodemus to his next interaction is with a Samaritan woman. And so he's giving life to this idea, to this notion that he has come for the sake of the world. Yeah, you really couldn't get two more opposite people right. than right. A, a man who was a Pharisee, part of the, the ruling class of Pharisees, yeah. and a woman who was a Samaritan. Yeah. And both of those things made her really not, shouldn't be able to talk to Jesus yeah. as a woman and as a as non-Jew. Some, yeah, that's right. So, so the fact that Jesus does so is interesting. In fact, we see this in, in verse nine. Again, we're in John chapter four. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus after they had an interaction, hey, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And even parenthetically, looks like John adds, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus was a different kind of Jew. Jesus was a different kind of person in how he interacted with people. It goes on in verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is speaking about himself in the third person, and he shifts the narrative from physical water to a living and spiritual water. And they interact with that for a little bit and talk about how you can get water that'll never make you thirsty again. And she's really confused as he's defining and describing the spiritual water, but she wants some. She says in verse 15, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And of course, we know from earlier in the story in verse 6 that she was there at high noon. That wasn't the normal time for women to go to the well. So speculate, why was she there at noon alone? Yeah, people would not go to draw water uh, typically uh, during the heat of the day. And so we immediately, um, if understanding kind of the first century context here, we immediately begin to wonder to ourselves, what's the deal? There must be some issue here with this woman that she feels the need to come uh, alone, uh, to, to, not, to, to be in a situation where she's not going to have to interact with anybody, uh, to be in a situation where she is alone at the well uh, to draw water. And so understanding that backdrop, then we enter in to Jesus's conversation uh, with her, which I know that you're about to, uh, to hit on. Yeah, exactly. Because at, after she says she wants the water, he says in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And then with a, a word of knowledge, Jesus says to her there in verse 17, you are right when you say you have no husband. 
Remember, he's never met her, mm-hmm. for all that we know. He's never been there. He's having a first-time interaction with her. But he says, the fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said about having no husband is quite true. Right. It, it's interesting because we, we often in our, in our world talk about not judging people and, and not speaking into people's lives until they speak it into our lives. But Jesus really didn't have a problem with at least being honest and prophetically declaring things to people and proclaiming them of, of what's going on in their lives. And he speaks it. He speaks the flat-out truth to her. And this doesn't push her away like we're so often afraid it will do. It actually draws her in. Yeah. How, do, how does that work? Yeah, though, one of the, and this is one of the things that's interesting to me here, um, because a couple of things. One, what we do see, though, is Jesus uh, illuminates uh, the truth of her life um, to, to basically say, hey, nothing, nothing's hidden here. Uh, he doesn't seek to shame her. Um, he doesn't, uh, you know, demonize her. In fact, what's fascinating to me is that she seeks to avoid the conversation to where immediately after Jesus uh, reveals these things uh, to her, uh, you know, she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. So she, you know, basically... Um, Fesses up that, yeah, everything you've said is, is correct and true and right. And then immediately she shifts the conversation away from her personal life and says, our father worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she immediately shifts the conversation to something else. And Jesus doesn't circle back around uh, to it. He just kind of takes it where she's at, what she's professed, and then he speaks in uh, into this. And so what, what do you see? So you think she's avoiding the, the conversation about the husbands by saying, hey, is the right place you know, at the temple in Jerusalem or on this holy mountain for the Samaritans? Is that what's going on? That, that's the way I read it. Yeah. Because, um, you, know, underst- you know, understandably so, again, because I, I'm sure that obviously there, there's an element of shame, a potential guilt that she feels. We don't know what the, the situation was in these past uh, relationships that they had ended in divorce, death, whatever it might be. There is a cloud, though, uh, clearly over uh, this Samaritan woman that she has been, what was it, married uh, five times and now is with someone else. And she wants to avoid that conversation seemingly at all costs. So it's, she just shifts it. I, I like that. It's, it's, uh, I, I see that all the time, maybe in my lo- own life as well as in others that when not wanting to confront something that's a hard truth in our lives, we look at an external. And so the, the classic thing that we hear in the church world all the time is, well, is the right way to do it traditional worship or contemporary worship or organ or guitar right. or this or that? And in this case, it was at the temple or on the mountain. Right. Because as long as we can focus on the the form of worship rather than the heart of worship and really revealing myself before the divine nature of God, when we can push it out to a distance, we can bury deep within us the, the things that really Christ came for. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so she goes on to say this, uh, finally, after he's, he's declared to, to worship in spirit and in truth, she says in verse 25, I know that Messiah, and John adds parenthetically, called Christ, because in Hebrew, the word Messiah is in Greek, Christ. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. She says, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Ben, as far as I know, this is the first time Jesus declares his own identity when he says in verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the Messiah. And he uses the phrase, I am, which we'll dig into later Mm -hmm. as we move through this podcast. But he declares himself to be Christ. He is the Messiah. So it's all good. It's all amazing that he does this to a, a Samaritan woman, to someone that most people, almost all Jewish people, and certainly good religious Jewish people, would have avoided. He doesn't. He declares to her that he's the Messiah. So she, she gets up and she, she eventually takes off after after some interaction with the disciples return, they'd gone out to get some lunch and, and they come back and they're trying to figure out like, why is Jesus talking to a woman? Like that's, that's weird. But she leaves. And I love what happens in verse 29. She goes back to her village and she calls out to the people there. And I love verse 29. It says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. <laughs> Do you think that like, some of the five husbands and other guys were around like, what? <laughs> we, we all know what you've done yeah. in this community. We don't know if her husbands died sure. or if they divorced her. We don't, we don't really know the situation behind all of that. But she must have had a little bit of a life because yeah. the statement she said, he told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? He's declared himself to be the Messiah. Now she's asking the question, and so they came out of the town and made their way toward him. They're coming to see for themselves. So she, again, is one of these people who says, just come and see. Come and find out. And for whatever reason, this woman who had gone to the well at high noon in the heat of the day by herself is now able to get a whole bunch of people to follow her back to the well. How'd she, how could she have so much influence? Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing that blows my mind. Um, and not, not so much from the standpoint of influence, but the immediate, how her heart is immediately captured by, uh, by this interaction with Jesus. So much so that really the, the shame that led her to go uh, to uh, to the well, uh, most likely when when nobody else is there. All of a sudden, she's off in the mid the middle of the public square, basically telling everybody, "You have got to come see this guy." And so, no longer inhibited by her shame, uh, no longer seemingly rooted in that identity, no longer worried about uh, what others may say uh, about her or to her, she can't help herself but go tell everybody about Christ, wanting others to come and to experience that which she has experienced. Because again, her, her heart has been so captured 
by this interaction. It's almost like she was when she was unleashed from her shame, which she was holding in, she was able to then to go out and with just pure joy or curiosity or whatever yeah. was in her, share this news like, you've got to check this out yeah. because this is life-changing. It's changing my life, and it, and it could change yours, right? So, so Jesus is still, so she's down in the village, and Jesus is, is still out away from the village at the well with, with the disciples who now returned with some lunch. And they're telling him, hey, Jesus, you got to eat some lunch. You know, we're, we're looking after you here. And we're in verse 32 when Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Again, there's so many items in this that the physical and the spiritual, which is common for the Gospel of John, are being intertwined. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? They're thinking just pure up food. Jesus clarifies in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. I almost have a a picture here. I heard somebody talk about this one time, that at this moment, people were coming out of the village wearing their head coverings and, and all the things that they would have worn back in that day. And they were sort of bouncing their way toward Jesus. And the field might have looked like it was white for the harvest. It was ripe for the harvest with all of these people coming out of the village toward the well. I, I don't know if that's the situation or not, but again, it's the physical and the spiritual that are both being spoken of here. There's a physical harvest that's four months away, but Jesus says the harvest is right now, and here they come. Get ready for it. Pretty, pretty powerful image, right? Yeah, especially in, they're in Samaria. <laughs> Still, right? And so the, the uh, initial harvest, spiritual harvest, that Jesus points his uh, Jewish disciples to are the Samaritans. Um, again, which had to would, blow their minds. It had to blow uh, their minds. I mean, it would have been really tough for them to kind of, in some ways, I think, wrap their head uh, around uh, what Jesus is, is telling them here. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, as a, as we read um, these, uh, as Jesus talks a, about the, the nature of the harvest, um, which is something that, that he continuously presses into throughout his time uh, with his disciples, it, it's one of those things that should really focus our own attention as Christ followers. Do we have any concern about the harvest? Is that where our eyes are centered uh, and focused as we seek to live into uh, Jesus's call upon our lives, because so often when we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing Christ with another, a lot of times um, within a church setting, a lot of times that that's like, well, that's something the preacher does or the staff members do, not realizing that every follower of Christ has this universal call to go and share Christ with others. Um, we are all called, while we all have these you know, different gifts, um, the one universal call that every follower of Christ has been given, uh, ultimately, is to go and make disciples. 
um, to see the harvest field and to go and share Christ with others. I was thinking about this morning, I, I think I've been on something like 14 or 15 mission trips sure. in my life, and that puts me in another culture immediately, whether it's in the United States or, or in another country, it puts me in another culture among another group of people who need things and need Christ, but I, I often find myself a little bit ill-equipped because I speak a different language or come from a different place. And so that's, that's one aspect. Maybe this is sort of like a little mission trip for the disciples that sure. Jesus is taking them on here into this other area. But he's, he's going beyond that, I think, when he, when he says, hey, folks, this is not just for us and our kind. Right. The, the gospel message, the kingdom of God is for everyone. And, and maybe... You know, if I've been on 14 or 15 mission trips, that means the vast majority of the weeks of my life, I've not been on mission trips. I've been wherever I've lived, in the community, among neighbors and people at the YMCA and people that I shop with or or hang out with. They may be the hardest ones sometimes, but the more familiar it becomes sometimes the hardest ones to take the gospel to or to risk myself in front of them. Because sometimes I put up, I have to admit, I put up my own barrier to say, well, if they wanted to be you know, in church, they would already go to church. If they wanted to believe in Christ, they would already, they'd already believe in Christ. And Jesus says, look, no barriers. Whether it's somebody from a completely other culture or somebody from yours that you've written off, uh, that won't work. So nonetheless, it says these, these guys came, and in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, unheard of, that you would, Jews would stay in a Samaritan village for two days. And he spoke to them, preached to them, taught them, because of his words, verse 41, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we really know that this man is the Savior of the world. What, what a powerful thing that these folks who were considered outcasts, the untouchables, You'd be unclean if you hung out with them, spiritually unclean. They now understand Jesus to be the Messiah, that's the Christ, and the Savior of the world. Nobody is outside the reach of Jesus, are they? No, no, they're not. And again, I, I just love the intentionality of this Samaritan woman, the immediacy of having uh, had this interaction with Christ, heart captured, immediately goes to tell Others and as I as I see the Samaritan woman and her passion, her willingness, her desire to uh, to see others come uh, to to be in the presence of Christ. One of the things we have to ask ourselves a lot of times, you know, you're just talking about the the difficulty sometimes in our own context um, and sharing Christ with others. And and I think that the con- you know when we go away on a mission trip, there's intentionality there. 
Like we have gone right. to this land, uh, whether it's to a, a different city within our own nation or, you know, overseas somewhere, we've gone there with this in- intent of we are going to go and share the gospel. And, you know, when we live out the, our day-to-day existence, sometimes that intentionality gets lost, even though it should be there. And one of the things I've been really confronted by uh, recently in my own life, especially as I've plowed into or as I've thought about uh, this passage with the Samaritan woman, one of the things that has grabbed hold of my own heart is that my unwillingness to share the gospel exposes my heart. Because if my heart is truly rooted in Christ as it should be, then the natural overflow of my life is to bring others to know Jesus. That's a tremendous statement. Tremendous statement. I'm looking forward to your your sermon on this. So folks, if you want to if you want to hear Ben's sermon on this and pick up on other elements, do you want to go deeper into this? Go to our church's website fishersumc.org or our church app Click on the Life of Jesus link and you will be able to find Ben's sermon as well as daily gospel readings. There's five a week along with devotions written by me, poems written by my sister-in-law. These will help you, I believe, not only get more knowledge and information about who Jesus is, but get to know him better and better and better in life. Sound good? Sounds great to me. Looking forward to next week. All right. God bless you all. Have a great week.